0: this is the lattice training podcast where we bring you the best in climbing performance and training from the world's elite athletes thought leaders and coaches in today's show i have ryan devlin who is the host of one of the latest climbing podcasts to appear over the last couple of years the struggle climbing show now many of you will be aware of the podcast that ryan runs There's been a whole roster of heavy-hitting guests on the show, from Alex Honnold to Lynn Hill to Alex Magos. What you may not know, however, is that we've had the pleasure of having Ryan as a paid customer of Lattice Training Plans over the last couple of years. Firstly, you might think, this is great. Yay. The owner of a huge podcast is going to be talking all about his training and his Lattice Plans. In reality, when I found out about this, I was thinking, yikes. I better listen in on all of his episodes and make sure that everything is going down well, especially as I knew so many of the guests on his first series had already trained with us. Secondly, if you haven't listened to Ryan's podcast, you may not be aware that he's actually a super normal guy who's been using our sport plans or light plans as they used to be called. And we're not talking about one of those dark horse beasts who climbed V12 in two years or is... Totally capable of being a pro, but he loves his nine to five. So he turns down offers from North Face and Gucci all year long. Yep, he is 43 years old. He's a dad with two kids. He holds down two jobs, possibly more. And he's gone from 11B, which is around French 6C plus to 12C, about 7B plus, in the last year or so of good old-fashioned hard work and training plan graft. Parts of his journey and training journey have been discussed throughout the lens of the interviews that he does with the pro climbers on his show. He likes to discuss how they've struggled in their training, nutrition, tactics, and mental game, and what it's taught them, and inevitably, he touches on his own struggles. Having listened to some of these interviews, and yet I was checking in that he wasn't complaining to Alex Honnold about the amount of capacity power sessions he'd been given in his plan compared to him, I thought it'd be really cool for you as the listeners to hear Ryan's experiences with training and how they've been. He's climbing very normal grades. His lifestyle is pretty standard, I think. And I feel like there's plenty to relate to. Of course, there is going to be one extra little layer of spice that I'm going to add on, add in on this. And that's that he's likely to have a bit of insider information that he will have gleaned from his guests over the last two years. So or last two seasons, rather. So I may get him to expand on some of those extra learning points occasionally. Welcome to the show, Ryan. I'm under serious pressure, seeing as uh, you're normally the host, and this is actually your real job.
1: (laughs) Well, I I appreciate it, Tom. First of all, thank you for that um, incredibly warm intro. You nailed it. I was like, man, I wonder how many takes he's going to have to do to, to get through all of this copy. And like an absolute pro you just flashed it so we're off to a good start yeah that's that it's a good start it's all downhill from here <laughs> <laughs> great okay let's stop
0: a beer then oh great yeah <laughs> um so let's start kind of at the beginning to give some context for the listeners who will be thinking i mean i know some of them will have listened to your show but also for others that haven't listened to your show can you just tell me a bit about your background and your journey up until this point, or or rather to the point of where you started training plans with us? Because I think that's an important, you know, background story to set the scene for what we'll discuss in this interview today. So, you know, how long have you been climbing? What were you interested in to start with, et cetera, et cetera?
1: Sure, sure. Yeah, totally. Um, And and, and again, thank you for having me on the show. I've listened to loads of these episodes and um, and just gotten so much out of it. So it's really cool to um, be able to kind of be on the other side of it here. And uh, yeah, I'll try to fly through the backstory because I think it's all um, pretty unextraordinary, if that's a word. Um, I didn't start climbing, unfortunately, until I was 30 years old. Man, I wish I had started climbing um, before, but I think that's what everybody says uh, that that started climbing a little bit later in life. But um, I was living in Los Angeles at the time, and I was working like a really high pressure job and was just going to a regular gym and exercising and just couldn't get away from the work. Like I couldn't quiet my mind. I'd be on a treadmill and I'd be thinking about spreadsheets and this kind of thing. And, and one day there, I drove by a climbing gym on the way to my other gym and just on a whim kind of popped in there. And like, immediately it just clicked. I think a lot of listeners can probably relate to that. I mean, it was, you know, just plastic holds on a wall, but when you're, when you're focused on not falling and, and of course, like fear of falling is, is, you know, pretty prevalent in those early days. Um, You're not thinking about spreadsheets. You're not thinking about other stuff. So I fell in love with climbing because it was almost just like a meditative way for me to only focus on climbing um, rather than think about all of life's stressors. Um, And then this was in Southern California. So I hooked up with some buddies who were uh, climbing trad out there. And so my first experience as outdoors was climbing multi-pitch trad up in Idlewild, like Eats and Suicide Rocks out at Joshua Tree um, in the Needles and Southern Sierras Doing these really great kind of adventury, you know, pretty exposed, um, not hard, but you know, granite hand jamming, you know, just multi pitch, and and it was just so. I mean, it kind of changed my life, like just to be out there and experience being removed from everything and just moving over rock in that way. And I loved the the problem solving aspect of of traditional climbing and building anchors and you know, it wasn't just like um, a fight with, you know, some sort of like physical, you know, kind of accomplishment. It was, it was so thoughtful and also just the nature connection. So that was, you know, probably the first 10 years of my life was, was doing that. I did do some sport climbing, um, uh, but mostly, mostly trad, you know, I guess maybe the biggest route that I had done was this um, route out in Red Rock called Epinephrine, kind of like a super classic five, nine, let's say it's like, 15 pitches but we linked a couple of them um i mean it took us we were 12 hours on on the climb it was like an 18 hour day in and out it was totally epic um you know it snow at the top of it and two and a half pitches in a row of chimney and just like it was so cool and so fun um and then just a few years ago to kind of bring it a little bit current a few years ago um, my family up and moved to louisville kentucky and so we're a couple hours from the red river gorge And so for those who haven't climbed here, it's like couldn't be maybe the more polar opposite of what I had been doing, like kind of granite, multi-pitch jamming um, to super steep, super overhung, pockety sport climbing. And so that was a huge um, adjustment for me. It's it's mega. There's 2,500 routes. It's, you know, people come from all over the world. I meet every time I'm out there, I meet somebody from a different country, it seems like. Um, but a totally different style. And I felt like I almost had to relearn how to rock climb. Um, fear of falling was a was a massive thing to for me to wrap my head around, you know, coming from trad to to like hard pulling sport. Um, but also just like the energy systems, the finger strength, the core strength, all these things that I, I didn't even think much about when I was out west. Um, I had to start thinking about. So I've been doing that for a few years now and I got a long ways to go but I'm uh, I think I'm finally making some progress. And and was that move from uh, and it's interesting you say that
0: kind of transition from trad climbing and the style that you have in Red Rocks where it's a lot more vertical actually a lot of it's slabby as well mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's less of a I suppose a physical game and then came across into Red Rocks uh, sorry into Red River Gorge where it's much steeper much more physical pumpy athletic style of climbing. And that's very similar to what a lot of British climbers do. They start through trad, they bumble around on some nice easy slabs, placing their nuts and cams and stuff. And then they get a bit more serious about it and try and do some sport climbing. And they suddenly are like, Oh, wow, this is quite a lot more physical than I I, I sort of appreciated before, but they've got this long, uh, I suppose, apprenticeship of experience and technique and, Um, sort of a base level conditioning within climbing over a period of sometimes you know three to ten years say but Mm -hmm. and you went through that same journey but I think I'm right in saying that when you moved to climbing in Red River Gorge you also had a was it just a fortuitous crossing of paths with Eric Hurst and him sort of giving you first light bulb moments around training and
1: introduction to it is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, I I wish that fortuitous crossing of paths had happened um, even earlier. Um, I had already been out in Kentucky for a couple years, um, you know, climbing at the local gym, which is a total dump. Um, We really need a better gym here in Louisville, but, um, you know, then going from there out to the red and doing you know, maybe three days a month is what I could kind of swing in those in those earlier days. I've made a much more concerted effort to climbing outside much more after um, listening to some of the data that you had shared, in fact, on the performance of uh, climbers that you've tracked um, and as it equates to the number of days that they actually get outside on real rock. Mm-hmm. Um, but at this point in time, I was getting out there, you know, fairly infrequently, but enough to try to work on fear of falling um, and to just kind of get used to steeper, um red river gorge style pumpy climbing and um yeah one day i was at the drive-by crag um eric was there with um one of his sons uh cameron um who's you know climbing 15 515 now um or um 9a plus i guess that would be you know um and and uh And we just got to talking, and I think, honestly, he kind of took a little bit of pity on me, (laughs) being, um, I don't know, like, I'm, you know, we were talking about our kids and and this kind of thing, and and the pandemic hit shortly thereafter, and I shot him an email, and I was just like, you know, so great to talk to you, so great to meet. I, I just would love, I'm kind of directionless right now. I'm feeling like I don't understand this style of climbing. I don't know how to train for it. Because up until that point in time, I would go to the gym and I'd just climb you Know a lot of junk mileage is what people would call it now, like in retrospect. Mm-hmm. I would meet my friends there, we'd have a lot of fun. It wasn't a waste of time, I was it was a release. I'm working hard, I've got a couple of kids. It's great to go to the gym and have fun, um, but it wasn't really training. And so, Eric, um, did a Zoom, we set up a Zoom and we we chatted, and he you know, immediately recognize some low hanging fruit, um, with regard to like my finger strength was way lacking for the grade at which I was climbing at, which I think spoke to the fact that I had some good technique. Um, and I was, I was efficiently using other things to compensate for my, um, incredibly weak fingers. You all have that because I, I started my lattice program shortly thereafter. So I worked with Eric for a little bit, um, used the training for climbing manual that he wrote, um, we just did the one Zoom session, but then he he checked in on me on, on email, which was really cool. And since then we've become good friends. We meet out there and we climb with our families and that kind of thing, which is nice. Um, but, you know, he got me on the right track, which is great. I basically, you know, what he did is essentially opened my eyes to say like, what you're doing right now is climbing, but you're not training. So if you want to climb harder, if you want to grow and and start to move up through the grades and that kind of thing if that's a goal for you which it was he said you just got to get focused with your training you don't have to dedicate more time i was already putting in probably five hours a week you know going to the gym a few days a week and that kind of thing he's like it's it just needs to be more intentional it needs to be more thoughtful and so yeah that's what started me down that path and then um not too long after that is when i i um ended up doing my first sport climbing plan with lattice which um I think even took it to the next level because I didn't want to have to write my own training plans. I just wanted something to come to me. Um, I was busy enough as it was. And so that really, that really is when things started clicking with me. was when I could just like have my things that I needed to do every day. Mm. I'm interested to hear about what were your
0: initial thoughts or expectations around starting a structured process? Cause you, you'd been climbing for a long time and we're, we're shortly about to kind of hear how far you've gone so far with your climbing and your training in that period of structured training. But yeah. How, did you have an expectation when you started training of, Oh, I want to shoot for the moon. I'm going for 15 a and I'm going to do it in five years. <laughs> or was it very boundary goals around? I've got, I've got to do this route X, Y, Z, you know, how, how was that for you? Because I think this is, for me, it's really interesting to hear about and those listening as well, because goal setting is is a fairly critical part of staying staying true to the
1: journey. Yeah, I, I really wanted to break into 512 because 512 at the red. And so that's like uh, 70 plus and end up, I guess. Um, those routes at the red are some of the the best routes um, kind of in that like, you know, five. 12A 12B just some super super classics 12C as well and then kind of the next jump after that it, commonly people will say kind of like in the in the mid 13s like the 8A range um which is now what I'm like kind of insanely it seems insane you know it now like that I could even be gunning for that but I think it's achievable um back then you know I was I was pretty gripped with fear um and and very unstructured with my training and so I was kind of stuck in the, like the low 511 range um, kind of that six B plus range, as you said. And, um, I wanted to access more exciting routes. And so Mm. that was kind of the goal. It wasn't, there wasn't like a route specific. I do have like very like route specific goals now, but at the time it was like, I know that I can just achieve more and unlock more if I do that. And also I wasn't getting any younger. This was like, I was 40 at the time, 41. And just knowing like how many more years do I have to try to just like really train hard and just see what I can achieve. Like, as a climber. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that was enough of a psych that when I did bring some structure into my training through the crimped app, um, I was like really ready for it. It was not, it didn't seem like it was homework or like it was a, like a task. Um, I really liked how, I don't know. It's it's like, um, what is that game theory type thing? Like at the end of the day, if I could check off all the workouts that were assigned to me for that day and it filled up those colorful bars on the app, I just like, <laughs> I felt really good about it. And I felt a little guilty if I didn't do it. So it just gave me like the structure that I needed where when I went to the gym, I had an intention. When I went outside, I could just be outside. When I was home watching some TV, Or, you know, after I put the kids to bed, I could click off some conditioning or some stretching. And it just, it allowed me to just have that roadmap. And then fortunately, you know, that, that kind of thing only works if you start to see results. And I started seeing results almost immediately, you know, that kind of coincided with me also working, um, in a very intentional way with fear of falling. Um, and just kind of like my, my, the mental game aspect of, of climbing on steep routes. And so you know, both of those kind of like lifted up together, like the, both of those raised the tide of of where I was at as a climber. And and none of this is extraordinary. You know, like, I think maybe that's what hopefully the listeners will find relatable here is that, um, you know, I was still working my jobs, still taking care of my kids. I, I wasn't dedicating more time to it. It was just super intentional. And then the results, like, I mean, it was really lightning quick uh, how fast I started moving up through the grades after that. Mm, I think yeah just to kind
0: of reiterate what you were saying about there about it's just it's not something that's superhuman or extra special it it really is and I get to see this a lot because I've worked as a coach for for so long is that when you get any individual kind of whatever stage they are in life and whatever background is that as long as you can get them to be consistent with a good approach, which works and, and has, you know, sense and logic in what it is. And there's lots of paths to the same destination. Let's put it that way. So it's not just like there's one method to get to this grade or this route or this level of strength or fitness or whatever it might be. Sure. Um, And two is that it is, it's like this intentional thing of turning up and having focus and knowing what your purpose is Every day. And for some people, that is just checking back in on the goal setting and going, Well, what's why am I doing this thing? You know, and you look down at your piece of paper that's in your journal and you you have your thing that you're aiming for. Others, it can be working with their partner every day and saying, How's your session going? What's the feedback you're getting? Are you improving? What are you psyched for? How are you feeling? Are you feeling motivated? Is is this these elements which are the real foundation to Really, just sort of success in training and doing well with it. And I never want people to, you know, look at any content that we do on Lattice, for example, on social media or blogs that we write or interviews that we do at pros and think that there's some kind of secret method or some extra special way that you do things. Those are like the bit that makes the difference for the last 5% or 2% or something. The other bit is
1: relatively basic actually and you know i think you're a very good testament to this yeah you know it's interesting because i i in in season one of the struggle I, I talked with all these elite athletes and one of like the entrees you know the reason that i started the podcast was kind of twofold one i wanted to talk with these people that i respected um so highly in the sport but also two was kind of to answer that question like is there is there elite climbing DNA? Are there patterns? Are there are there these these common threads um, that are shared between people who ascend to kind of the the top of their field in, in the sport of rock climbing? And the answer is yes, um, to to some extent. Like there were a lot of similarities with how these people struggled, what they learned, and how they um, overcame, which which was very cool. Um, in one of the interviews that I had, uh, you mentioned Alex Honnold at, at the top there. And he, he echoed similarly what you just said, which was, look, you know, my job is to be a professional rock climber. So I work out it very consistently and very seriously, but he said, you know, I think anybody who puts in the time, if you can put in the consistency, you're going to see the incremental growth. And he said, you know, I think it's pretty common until you hit a certain, um, elite level. It's pretty common that if you put the work in, you can, um, improve a letter grade a year. Um, you know, we're talking about like the YDS here. And so, mm. you know, from 11A to 11B in a year to 11C, I, I did a bigger jump than that when I got really intentional with my my training here. So I, I think you, you know, I think it's certainly possible to to unlock more. But, you know, to hear that from Alex as well, um, we were talking about it in the context of him trying to push into 515. Um, you know, that, that kind of consistency is what climbing is all about. I think that's what I get so excited about as an old guy here is like, you can still like, even if, even if you're not as strong as you used to be, there are many different ways to find efficiencies and, and ascend through the grades if that's what you're focused on. So yeah, I'm really, I'm really psyched about that. Let's, let's talk about basic numbers and metrics. I mean,
0: uh, who, who doesn't like a, a, a good finger strength score or, or, or some of the tests and, <laughs> you know we use these a lot within the work that we do with either you know professional athletes that we might work with in a, on a sponsored relationship or you know our paying clients that we we've worked over the years and the whole metrics thing and testing and performance profiling isn't the you know the the solution or the only thing that matters within climbing it's just another tool that we like to add to the equation to be able to either track people or understand where we might put their focus in the coming training season or preparation for a project or whatever it might be. And when I look at your kind of improvements, if I start with you right at the beginning, uh, kind of some of the basic metrics were that you had finger th- finger strength score of around 120% body weight. Mm-hmm. And then you moved up to after your fourth sort of cycle of training with us up to 137 and a half so 120 to 137 on your power endurance you move from 98 seconds all the way through to 273 seconds but importantly that was at a weight that you use within that power endurance test 49 kilograms all the way up to 58 so the intensity had also increased with that which was Mm. actually I'm going to come on to this, but that's a very, very good response uh, to the training. Max pull-ups, two rep max pull-up, uh, basic pullings uh, score for the agonist muscles involved with the upper body strength uh, from one forty-nine to one fifty-two, and hip flexibility from one eighty or from eighty-four uh, percent through to eighty-nine percent. My question on these, in reference to those numbers, is how does those how does that change feel to you when you go climbing? like if we break down those four sections, like what does it actually feel like? is what is it seventeen and a half percent improvement in finger strength appreciable, or is it just kind of like a little nudge? like
1: no, I mean, it's super appreciable. i think I think some things feel more um uh, significant than others, and you know, my finger strength coming from you know, granite slab hand jamming um, was was obviously not particularly strong for the grade at which I was climbing out. I think it was around the 20th percentile, maybe a little bit below the 20th percentile. Um, and it's improved, but, you know, significantly improved for me from 120% to 137.5%. As you said, you know, that's for me, it feels a lot different. I also still have a lot of opportunity there. I think I'm only in like the 30th percentile now, um, or maybe slightly below, But it's a significant jump for me. And I think like maybe the biggest thing that happened was that um, I could rest on holds that I never was able to rest on before. And um, that's maybe just like one specific example. But like some of the routes that I was taking on as I was pushing into 12A and 12B and 12C really required um, some active rest, like getting quite a bit back on route. And I always thought that that would be a result of just climbing a ton of volume Mm. and just learning to be able to hold on forever and fight the pump. But then it became very clear after talking with Eric Hurst and then, um, talking with my coach at Lattice Roz, who, who was building out these programs that in fact, you know, if you can pull a lot harder on a lot smaller edges, then those medium edges on your proj are going to feel pretty big and you can actually get some shakes there. You can actually recover there. And that was absolutely what it felt like when, when I got on the rock, um, you know, top end power was, was also much stronger. And so I I found myself like being able to work out bolder problems, like, like red point cruxes and these kinds of things, um, in far better ways than again, that I, I, I would have been able to do, uh, prior to that. Um, my my pulling strength kind of was always strong. I always pulled around like 150% um, body mass. And so like lock-offs and that kind of thing were about the same. Flexibility kind of has improved a little bit, but didn't seem as limiting. Like it was really the finger strength, like getting intentional about that. I just was under this impression that like to climb at the Red River Gorge is to kind of climb these long, pumpy routes. They always say it's, they're the biggest holds you'll fall off of. Is It's kind of like the yeah, motto for the that. red, right? Yeah. And it's like a lot of just like, climbing jugs at a 30 degree angle for a hundred feet or for 80 feet. And so I thought, okay, well, let me just go to the gym and do a ton of that. Um, You know, and I think that's probably common for, for a lot of people, but you know, what the science indicates and certainly what my, my plan from Lattice and what Eric had, you know, gotten me focused on was max finger strength and focusing a lot on that. And so I did a lot of like max hangs on the 20 mil edge. Um, I did a lot of like work on the moon board, um, stuff that I really avoided, like bouldering. I never bouldered, never had any interest in bouldering. I hate falling and hitting the ground. Like I love having a rope on, but almost all my training focused on that. And then when I get out of my sport roots, all of a sudden I'm kind of like floating up these sections that I used to have to power through. And I'm resting on these holds that used to be cruxy. And so yeah, that was that was the most apparent change and, and it happened pretty quickly. Mm, yeah. I mean, every every
0: person is is very individual with how fast and how far they respond to any particular training stimulus. I always want to kind of try and remind people that that you might listen to Ryan and go, Oh, I see what Ryan did in two years. Well, that's not fair. Why didn't I do it? I was trying really hard as well. Don't overthink it on that if you're taking the right approach and you are putting the effort in and you're not and you're looking other, after other elements of your life then there's a good chance that you're not doing anything wrong in air quotes it's just that your body responds to these things differently um and of course there's going to be a balance of how you juggle strength power power endurance endurance etc um a a question that i, I had with the the power endurance element of it, where you've improved significantly in both the intensity but also the duration that you're able to operate with that intensity did you feel like there was a difference in the effect that that's had on your on sighting versus your red pointing has there been
1: any variance in that for you yeah it was a huge jump for me um and i think mental game comes into into play on that um a bit as well but you know being physically confident in your ability brings a lot of mental confidence as well and um i think my highest on site when i first started like my first plan with y'all was um around maybe 10d or 11a and um this season, I did uh, an 11D, a hundred foot absolute monster pump fest. This this route called Return of Chris Snyder, that um, it just doesn't stop. And I didn't even go into it thinking like I might get the on site. Um, I I fully expected that I wouldn't. It's just like it was just like this monster route, but I just kept holding on, and so I just kind of kept paddling, and I like I just made it to the chains, and so. Yeah, that that like overall just power endurance. I also the hardest route that I've ever climbed um was a 12b called Mercy the Huff. super super classic, very long, very pumpy. It's like four boulder problems separated by not great rests. And I've climbed 12c, but I, it was that went down easier than the 12b. Mm-hmm. Um so so I I call it my hardest route climbed even though it's not the hardest grade climbed. But that's what I love about rock climbing. I mean, I could probably climb a you know, if it's a slopy problem, I'd have to go down a full number grade, um, in order to do it. And that might be the hardest thing that I climb. So it's all about style. Um, but yeah, that, that increase in power endurance, especially cause we're talking about the red river gorge here. I mean, that's like nearly every climb out there is, are these like really classic power endurance fights. And so the improvement there, I think is a combination of focusing on it with the training and then also getting outside more and just getting on these routes and working them. And, and it's just been like the slow build, you also see that, like as you noted, I went up there quite a bit in the weight on on that metric, um, and and I also attribute part of that to the half crimp. I gotta, I don't know if this is a bone that I have to pick with you, Tom, or or your team, or or what. Come on, like, bring it on. Everything's the freaking half crimp with you guys. Everything, it, you know, and like so when we started this, I hadn't, I like had to Google half crimp. Like I've never everything I've climbed is open hand. It's like, I'm at the red, it's all these pockets, it's all steep. And I'm just like, you know, trying to be as efficient as possible. And so I like had to teach myself the half crimp, um, just through your training, which again is good. I mean, it's a good thing, but like, I'm like, man, why can't I just open hand this? I was open handing twice the weight of my, of my half crimp. Um, and so, you know, that also might be part of like kind of the metrics there, which is just like, I'm just I just really don't have power, like full crimp, forget full crimp. I'm not even like messing with a full crimp, but at least like we're at half crimp status right now. And, and I'm starting to do kind of like feet on the ground, full crimp just to feel it. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure that I'm sure you have a reason for requiring everybody to do a frigging half crimp on a 20 mil edge, but um I was not happy with it at first. Yeah. I mean, it's
0: a, it's a pretty common uh issue that will crop up with people who climb a lot of very steep very pumpy routes or they're climbing a lot of pocket routes and then it's just not used to those varied grip positions and really the the thinking or the methodology that's behind this is that i would say we are very much of the belief that the best climbers in the long run will be the ones who are able to operate at a fairly consistent steady standard across a variety of different grip types because in reality in a lifetime of climbing you will come across lots and lots of different grip types and the degree of maximum strength that you have but also the strength and strength endurance is going to be in respect to the conditioning or the loading that you've given yourself over a lifetime in those grip decisions and the manner of the loading that occurs across different grip positions is quite different so they don't have perfect transfer um, between them so with that in mind we have taken the half crimp as being kind of like i suppose the the gold standard middle middle range grip position which is halfway between your full crimp and your complete open drag there's a Better chance and i can't give you a study or a set of data that will result uh, will reflect this but there's i think a good logical intuitive chance that the transfer away from a half crimp across into full crimp and then back into our open foregrip is going to be better and your injury resilience is going to be better when you use those variety of grip positions but i will say that if you had an individual that was working with any coach or the training plan or train themselves and they said, I am 100% focused on pocket strength for my entire career. I am never going to climb on a full crimp, a half crimp. I'm only going to climb on two finger pockets. Then, yeah, maybe don't worry about it. Right. Stay very, <laughs> very, very focused. But sure. this is super rare. And I've also seen the downside of so many people get very far down one hole of being good at a particular thing, then they move outside of it, or they come across a crux in it, or they just train particularly hard on something of a different style, and bang, something's gone wrong. Um, and their bodies just can't cope with the loading. Um, and I think that I'm into building or, or Lattice is into building climbers who operate for a long time and they're healthy and they're fit and they progress over periods of five years, 10 years, 20 years. I'm we're just not interested in this whole thrash him for six months and kick him out the door
1: yeah well i appreciated that i mean like essentially i was told to do things that i didn't want to do but because i needed to do those things and you know sometimes it's just hard to get that news at first because you're really poor at something like like i was really Mm. poor at i was junk at bouldering i'm still junk at bouldering to be perfectly honest but i'm less junk now than i was Uh, but what i needed to do was boulder and you know, to be to be clear, for those who haven't climbed at the red, there are plenty of problems that have more vert style sections or are kind of more vert. It just, you know, almost the entire um, climb that do have real thin edges that that it would be a huge benefit to ha- be able to bear down on in a full crimp or in a half crimp. And I'm I'm seeing that is um, that's becoming more and more critical now um, to be able to to have that. um so I'm I'm glad I'm working on it. I'm it's discouraging at times, but I also am starting to see the results of it. And I think it's going to be important to keep working on it. So, you know, that's that's um that's my homework for this this coming session here. I mean I'm trying to peek in a little bit with with uh, fall conditions coming around the corner. And so we're moving more towards power endurance now, but there's still one or two days in there where I'm on a moon board or I'm doing some um either a kind of minimal edge or, um, max hangs just, I think to continue to stimulate that. I, you know, my genetic potential is probably not very high. I know you've had Alison Vest on the show a couple of times there. And I just recently interviewed her for season two of the struggle Mm. and she's got like the strongest fingers that Tyler Nelson's ever tested. And obviously she pulls incredibly hard. And, you know, part of that is attributed to the fact that her tendon connects at a mechanical advantage to her bone in a certain way that gives her, really fantastic genetic potential with finger strength. Um, I may not have that. I've got some I've got some pretty weak fingers, but that doesn't mean I shouldn't work at it. In fact, it means that I should work on it more. And so I'm glad you guys are forcing me to do it. It is It is leading to good results. Yeah, yeah. That, that actually
0: is an interesting point you say about there, about um, actually the fingerboarding, then the bouldering, and then obviously as a root climbing specialist. And my uh, sort of preemptive, statement before I, I asked your question of how you've worked on this with your plans is that i would i never really want to see climbers out there who are interested in sport climbing or trad climbing look at the finger strength element and go oh i will just go and do fingerboarding and then i'm just going to convert that into sport climbing fitness and power endurance it's going to be great this is just going to be such a recipe for success fingerboard for my finger strength then i'm going to go climbing reality is fingerboarding, complemented by high intensity climbing, i.e. bouldering, then complemented with your route climbing, etc. So could you tell me a little bit about how that actually has been structured in your plan, like that balance of fingerboard, bouldering, and say, you know, I know that you didn't, weren't a big fan of bouldering beforehand.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't that intense. I mean, that's maybe the thing that surprised me the most when I first, like when I got my first plan in is it, it was, it was not nearly as much of a load kind of over the course of a week as I, as I kind of expected it to be, but again, just very much, very, very intentional. Um, I don't believe I've ever been assigned more than one fingerboard session in a week. Um, it might be like a little bit of a split where it's like max hangs on the half crimp and then it will do like a varied grip. Um, but Usually the load isn't high enough where I wouldn't just be able to do that in a session or maybe I'd break it into two separate days, but it wasn't like four days a week of like max hangs or anything like that. Similarly with the bouldering, it would be like um, kind of project level bouldering um, where you would do five problems, three attempts um or 3 problems 5 attempts i think it's 3 problems 5 attempts um i'm i'm not quite sure what the the name of that one is it's it's the red color so like anything that comes up in red i'm like oh god i'm going to have to try hard here um that's the you know the the strength um protocols um and sometimes i do that on the moonboard but i was real shit on the moonboard i um, still am like really hard for me to even do like benchmark v4s um for you know for that many attempts um but you don't have to get to the top you just have to be pulling really hard and trying to stay on and, and engaging that core tension and engaging the finger strength and the speed that's required so you know i was i was surprised at kind of again how low the load was so it'd be like one or one and a half fingerboard sessions in a week one um kind of boulder level like limit kind of boulder climbing session in a week one or two more of power endurance um style so that might be you know, some kind of like boulder link ups or I would go to my roped gym and I would do like two on one off, um, you know, or like up down, you know, do a route twice in a row and then it would be a five minute break and then do it again. Just kind of um, I really liked those. In fact, like the one that I liked the most was you would do like pretty sub max route followed by closer to like flash grade route. So I would climb like for me at my gym, I'd climb like a 5.10 up and then lower off and then immediately hop on like a mid to high Mm -hmm. 5.11. So it really like it puts like a kind of a low grade pump on on the first lap. And then you've really got to like dig deep on the power endurance in order to pull through some more like limit moves on the next route. Um, So that would be like a day and that was it. And then I get outside and then there was like great conditioning, you know, like core work so critical for how steep I'm climbing out of the red. Um the stretching, which I hate. I just like I just wanna I just wanna ignore anything in orange um on the app. All um, men must <laughs> do their flexibility. I'm I'm gonna <laughs> sound
0: sexist here, but guys, get on with your flexibility. I learned this years ago when we did a study for the it wasn't the women's training symposium. It was it, it was a it was an event where we held where we did a mass data collection in collaboration with Derby university, and we were testing a load of, uh, female, uh, climbers who were both boulder and sports specialists. And when you put in the hip flexibility metric with the performance models related back to grade with, you know, things like finger strength and power, etc., um, put in it massively, massively improved the model. And it was, it was, I remember that event where I looked at it at the date and went, yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely a thing, isn't it? We yeah. cannot, we cannot ignore this anymore, which is probably why you see us as uh, yeah, like our, with our training and the work that we do with athletes and clients, et cetera. It is very not focused on uh, flexibility, but it certainly doesn't ignore it. It it, it makes sure that it's addressed if it's, a, if it's an issue.
1: Yeah. And I think, I mean, as much as I hate it, um, it's. Like I do it, you know, it's, it's one of those things, it's like psychological, like it's in the app, it's on that day. I don't want to go to bed without checking that thing off. And so it's, it's like, it guilts me in the best possible way, I guess. And so, you know, I'll do these, like, I'll have these short ones that, that go every day, Um, you know, that, that take less than 10 minutes. And then there's usually one or two that are like 40 minute ones. And those are the tougher ones, but sometimes I'll work those in kind of like in between my hangs and I, I just find some efficiencies for it. Um, and that's another thing that, that, uh, you know, y'all had me doing a lot of, which was like these really, really like lightweight hangs, like where you would, I would remove like 85% of my body weight and just do these, it was like 30 minutes of seven seconds on three seconds off, I think is, is kind of what the, the repeater was or something along those, those lines. So, you know, it was just like, it's like, it continues to be like a really good mix where I can program it, where I know I'm going to have to try hard, you know, try really hard, maybe two or three days a week, Um, kind of medium hard, maybe two days a week, and then plenty of rest in there, a lot Mm. more rest than I would have thought, you know, Kevin Jorgensen was a guest on season one of the struggle. And I was speaking with him about like, what his life was like coming back post rupturing, um, one of his his finger pulleys, and um, he was working with you. And, you know, he, he was saying, like, I'm really, I was really surprised at how little I was being asked to do. And, um, and, and, and I was as well, like, I think it take, you all take risk very seriously, like the deload weeks and that kind of thing, which I had never, I didn't even understand what the concept of deload was until I saw it programmed into, um, you know, the app. Um, and now since I've had these conversations with a lot of these pro athletes, I ask them every, every chapter, every training chapter that we have, I, I ask them, how do they see rest? Um, and, they've all echoed a very similar thing, which was like, well, when I was younger, I never used to rest Alex Magos, you know, I would go 20 days on. And we're like 20 days on, he's like on a rest day, I would do a couple campus boards and then run 10 miles. I'm like, this guy's like, I mean, we all know he's like a German cyborg, but like, that's intense. But he said, you know, as I've gotten older and injuries become an issue or just understanding that like, I'm not going to achieve top power if I don't rest, like now I'm resting a lot more, um, seriously i'm taking rest as seriously as i am my training so i like that all of that is kind of programmed in in a sense with the with like the plans um because again left to my own devices i I think i probably wouldn't i would just want to do more that's what i had been doing Mm, i wonder is that an evolution that you all like have you always programmed rest and deload or has that been a response to recent science
0: uh no it's, it's something that we've we've done right since the start and maybe maybe the one area where it has evolved a little has been in the uh, population uh, particularly in the kind of 40s 50s 60s uh, and we've changed our methodology around quite a bit with that over the years and changed the the work rest uh, ratios with that particular client base and in some ways it was we needed to go through the process of working with enough people to see how they responded to the plans and Uh, I hope I don't sound too guilty in saying this, but it was almost like we needed the working guinea pigs to go through enough test runs to get the feedback internally as a set of coaches to understand what was working. Because, I mean, that's one of the things that's so hard about training and trying to deal with niche groups is that there just isn't enough information out there. Um, the, The aging athlete is... A, a relatively or, or I think the class is a, a master's athlete um, is a That's relatively better. yeah like lacking um, set of research especially when we're talking about someone who hasn't just done it for six months um, so then if you then say well we're dealing it with climbing you're just not going to find any information so you have to build it up yourself through experience um, so it's just the yeah when well, you get those
1: outliers too like I said, you guys had Dave McLeod in you know doing a bunch of testing not too long ago um, at, at Lattice there and he was just like Crushing it, and so like it's also like there are people that fall on the bell curve that just aren't representative of probably the the rest of us. Although you guys did send out like a big survey not too long ago, I remember filling it out. This was maybe a couple months ago, so um, hopefully you'll get some some good data from that. I, I love how nerdy you get with data, Tom, because I think it's one needs to have confidence in the path that they're on, in the plan that they're on. Like if I follow this equation. I'm going to achieve results, and I had that, you know, and and like I continue to have that. Going from 11B to 12C in a year, it didn't happen by accident. I just like I just did the work. I just followed the plan and did the work, and it happened. And I, somebody might have gotten to 13A in doing that same thing. Maybe somebody just gets to 11D or whatever. Like you said, it's very individualized and there's other factors that come into play there like nutrition or mental game or family life or work stress and that kind of thing but you know if you follow the path like you're you're going to kind of ascend through some results and you know that's what's great that's what's great about climbing is like it's it's um the playing field changes constantly but if you just kind of stay consistent you're you're going to get there mm. talking of a mental game uh can you tell me about your fear
0: of falling and how you've worked on that because you touched on that upon that in the early part of the uh episode and i don't want to ignore that because it's so critical to a lot of people including me and uh i'm hoping you might give me some tips here
1: (laughs) yeah i mean i wish um you know hazel finlay was a guest on season one and she we did we do these expert analysis episodes at the end of the season that look back and and so hazel came in and looked back at 10 episodes of mental game and where these pros struggled from Emily Harrington to Lynn Hill and, um, Alex Honnold and Alex Johnson, you know, these, these incredible climbers and, and starts to kind of draw these, these, um, conclusions, um, fear of falling was very common for all of them in their early days, but then they quickly moved past that. And the fear that took over for them was fear of failure. Um, for me, fear of falling, you know, really paralyzed me for a long time. Fear of failure sometimes comes in with social pressures and like, oh, am, am I going to have time to put down this project before the season's over, or my friends are watching that kind of thing. But but far more, it's it's fear of falling, which I think is very healthy. It's it's healthy to be afraid to fall. Um, and I think uniquely for me, coming from trad, where like you kind of don't want to fall. You know, like like when I led my first my first pitch that I ever led was this five five out at Joshua Tree called the Blob. And I thought I was so pro climbing up a bit, slotting in all these, not all these nuts. And I got to the top and and my buddy climbed up after me and he said, well, every one of those walked out. So congratulations on your free solo. <laughs> so <laughs> like that kind of like that gets in my head where I'm like, I don't want to fall on the gear. Um, I know when you get very confident with trad, then you don't care. You start to fall on gear as if it were a bolt, but um I brought that that fear into the steep climbing at the red. And as much as you can try to rationalize that a bolt is safe, when you get a few feet above it or five feet above it or eight feet above it, you really start to think about that, that fall and you start to check your knot and you start to overgrip. And so it was really, really holding me back. And so I just got super intentional about it. This is before I got intentional with my training. I got intentional with my mental game, which really made a difference. And so I read a book called Vertical Mind um that is all about a f- fear of falling so Who's that and mind? you know i'm blanking on um the author's name right now it's two it's two so it's a climber and a psychologist who, okay. who partnered together of it. vertical mind um yeah. and it really worked for me now this was before hazel had mind strong uh, or strong mind um i think it, 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 i got my my inverse there um I wish I had it, it, had Hazel had that course when when I was going through this. I would have just taken that because that seems like a really good way to do it. And I've had friends who have who have done that course and, and gained a lot from it. But Vertical Mind, you know, I I, I got it on an audio book, and so I would listen to it on the way to the crag, and it kind of balances the psychology of falling with the um, realities of being a climber. And so, um, kind of the the upshot of it is that I first learned um, what falling meant. Like, you know, what blew my mind was that when you, when you pull out a bunch of rope from below a bolt to clip it, you're going to fall further down than if you climb up to the bolt or past it and clip it at your hip because of the way the rope goes from your knot up through the piece and then back down. The fall distance is about the same, um, but the, the point at which you fall is lower because you fall from lower and you've pulled out a bunch of rope. And so, um... There's diagrams in the book that help you understand this because it's almost counterintuitive when I say it to say like it's the same amount of rope, but you fall further when you're below the bolt than when you're at the bolt. But those kinds of things like understanding that and then and then just taking fall practice. So like at the gym or or out like I would for a full year, uh, every warm up that I climbed at the red, I would clip a bolt and fall. Then I would climb to the, then I would climb up and I would climb past the bolt, a, a move and fall, then a couple moves and fall, and then to the next bolt and fall. So it was just gradual exposure therapy. Alex Honnold talked about this. You know, there's this common misconception that he lacks like the amygdala, you know, response of of fear and these kinds of things, and he said that's all that's all bullshit. It's it's really like just been a gradual exposure to varying degrees of fear that has helped him to like manage it and that's kind of what it was for me I think things work differently for everybody Hazel will be Mm -hmm. the first to say like if you're terrified of falling you shouldn't force yourself to fall even if you know it's safe there's other ways to work through it you want to get confident and comfortable for me just doing those like little practice falls over time um, really helped and you know when I sent my 12c last season that was like the big project that's hugely run out on a perma draw you know for the red at least it's probably 12 feet, you know, from the last piece up to the anchors. And and I got to the top, I put the rope through the anchors, then I unclipped the anchors and took this big victory whip. And it was like a 25 footer. Um, and it was totally fun and awesome. And there's days where I'm still like really gripped and, and afraid to fall. And there's days when I'm not, I don't think it fully goes away. But yeah, sorry, I've, I've been talking for a while here. I'll, 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 I'll give everybody a break from my voice. But I think falling can be so crippling for so many people that if you just take care of that, it could unlock a few grades just right there like you might be focusing on your finger strength because you you think that's the thing but like if you feel gripped if you're if you get sweaty if you get a little nervous at the notion of being five feet or eight feet above your last piece or ten feet, then you might find more gains just dial in some of that mental game you know while you're continuing to work on on all the other training yeah yeah i mean I, I think like like many
0: aspects of anything when it comes to climbing performance if you can make an appreciable dent in things that have a big impact so whether that's something that's tactical technical psychological physical then you're going to have a really big impact on your climbing but it is also about being realistic on whether that thing is like a two out of ten score and really is quite low and has lots of opportunity to improve and isn't you just kidding yourself going, ah, oh, I think this thing is, I mean, I, I see it a lot with people uh, people with very, very strong fingers and they go, I think finger strength's really my issue here. And I'm like, well, you're kind of like nine out of 10 here. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of other other things you could go after, um, which is the right approach. You want to go after the things where you, for the time and the effort that you put into them, you, you, you sort of receive a, a greater reward on it. Um, and yeah, all these areas can have a, a huge impact on it. One thing that I try and tell to people about the the sort of fear or or falling element which I feel is a reasonably good descriptor of it is that in soloists that I know and I've met plenty in the, you know the UK and Europe and the USA is that you will typically see that no one is really prepared to solo much more than one whole number grade. In relation to their top red point grade so if someone is capable of climbing 13a as their red point grade they very very rarely will solo above 12a so one actual number grade and to me that kind of describes the amount of margin in grades that you have for just the mental game alone so if someone is so practiced and very very good at soloing and they're still not really prepared to go above 12a that tells you how big an impact that could be for some people. And that's with someone who's very good at soloing. Um, so... that's, I
1: love that perspective, man. I hadn't, cause you always think about solo soloists as like this kind of like this rare breed that they're, they're kind of these aliens doing their own thing, which, you know, couldn't be further from the truth for those of us who know um, the sport, like, you know, that they've practiced and rehearsed and like, you know, like Alex on the free rider and that kind of thing. Like it, never did he feel out of control. People from the outside always think that it's out of control, but you're right. They'll only do it if they're 100% confident that they can do it. But looking at through that, that lens, like you just said, where, you know, if they effectively could unlock a full number grade just by putting a rope on, then the rest of us, if we can just handle our fears, um, maybe can unlock a full number grade as well. That's, that's mega. I mean, and I think, you know, for me again, going from like 11B to 12C in that year, Um, a lot of it was getting intentional with my training, but also I think I would say a good portion of it was not having to worry about the fall. If you're thinking about the fall, as you're pulling into like some crux section, you're not going to, you're not going to climb at your limit. You know, you're just not, you can't, you can't be in the flow. You can't be giving a hundred percent because you're going to be holding some back, some body tension back in anticipation of grabbing that knot and yelling, you know, falling or take. And so, yeah, you really, um. You can really unlock so much just by dialing that in. Um, that's a really cool perspective. I like I like how you you put that. And mm. another how, how have you how have you dealt with yours? By the way, because I, I know this has been a little bit of a thing. You've you've done some really good posts recently about talking about like you know if you're falling. I mean, you guys are on some sketchy shit out there, like with these like e eights and nines and, and these things. Like, I mean, I would be terrified to fall twenty feet on a tiny, you know, micro cam that's slotted into some shallow horizontal scar on some gritstone so um maybe your fear is more rationalized than mine um falling on bolts that are you know at the red i mean i i personally uh struggle on sport probably just as much as
0: i do on trad climbing actually for fear and uh oh, I, I do curse myself sometimes of choosing climbing as being my career path because i am you know like the person that you meet who has the worst thing strength you've ever met and you think why is that person bothering to go climbing? They are just, it's just not going to have an easy ride with this. I'm kind of <laughs> right. like that version with fear and heights and exposure. Like I have an absolute nightmare with it. Um, yeah. And don't be fooled into like looking at the things that I've achieved over the years and go, Oh, well he clearly can get this stuff. So he doesn't have an issue with it. It is so much work that I have put into that. And even now i i have some huge struggles there. i mean i remember just this summer i was doing something um it was a, a multi pitch route with anna hazelnut and we were top roping a pitch near the top of a multi pitch and to start with i couldn't even fall off on top rope working on this pitch i'd already worked a few other sessions i was so scared of the exposure and i was going tom what's wrong with you why can't you do this get a grip and that I got into like a negative self-talk and, yeah. me, and me and her struggle with some similar issues and some stuff. So we kind of help bounce off each other and get yourself back into a bit where you're kind of more actionable and can do something which is purposeful and you can, you can get into a better place with it. But I suppose the end of the, what I'm trying to say is that it's, it's something that many people deal with. I definitely do. My strategy has been very, very similar to yours exposure therapy, essentially, Do it really frequently. Do it a lot. Don't think that it's something that you've just suddenly solved. And if you could, no ways. It comes back every year just as badly as it did the previous year when I take time out of it. And I just have to be patient with myself and go, you know what? You've been through this before. There's a process for this. You know what it looks like. Trust the process. Same thing of like when I go sport climbing and I see my finger strength get kind of poor from spending two months sport climbing because I've got really fit. And I feel weak. I come back to the training again. I go, trust the process. You've been through this before. Mm. It's all okay. And you just, I think you get more practice at it over the years of being objective and patient and knowing what it looks like and less hasty and rushed and flipping from an ho- extreme high to an extreme low, which I personally did a lot when I was in my younger years. Yeah. And
1: I think honestly, like just, just um, vocalizing it is, for me at least was so critical. Cause I think like for you to share that right there is really major. You're one of the elite rock climbers of the generation. And to talk about like, I mean, you've been up on incredibly exposed climbs, but to say, you know, that you can still get gripped when you're on a bolted route or when you're on a trad route or on a top rope even. Um, and, and to have posted so openly about it is not only helpful for, for, I think for the rest of us, but for me, one of my big breakthroughs was starting to just say that to my buddies. Like as we were driving to the crag, I would be like, Hey guys, like I'm scared to fall. You know, I'm scared to fall just something I'm working through, you know, pretty normal, you know, kind of normal human response evolutionary psychology it's it's kind of kept us alive for this long. Um so like, will you help me today? Like, will you help me work through it? Can you be positive belayers? Can we talk about any deck potential? Are there any, you know, ledges we want to avoid? Like, let's just be like, let's just really talk through it. I want to take some practice falls. Um, You know, I think it's going to help. And like, I did that for a year, just like, just admitting it. And it almost took like kind of the self-judgment or shame, or I don't know, there's like machismo for like men, you know, where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm not afraid. I don't want to be afraid. But I was like, I'm freaking afraid and like, I want to work through it. And I'm really, it's one of my proudest accomplishments in, in climbing is just like, now I can like take big whips and, um, and kind of have fun with them. You know, I mean, like all the falls at the red, when you're on these steep climbs are really airy. You just kind of softly bounce on the rope. Like it can be a freaking blast if you allow it to be. Um, but I think starting with just kind of admitting it to yourself and then admitting it to others, um, not like it's a bad thing it's not like you're admitting like something it's just it's just saying like hey this is something that's probably holding me back I think I'm going to be a better climber if we work through it like let's work through it together that was a huge step for me as well yeah I think one of the real
0: superpowers actually uh, that's just made me think of and that particular element is getting people to realize that their climbing partners can be a massive massive benefit on this side and Absolutely. I've worked really hard on this over the years and people probably know that for the fact that, you know, I've got a very long term partnership with Pete and I kind of got, a, I've got a lot out of that over the years. But if you can get your climbing partner or partners on board to help build you up into a better psychological state position, when you go climbing and know your process for it and know what it feels like, what it looks like, what are the steps that you have to take, you can get very practiced it. And nowadays I know exactly the type of p- partner that I need to get into a very good psychological state. And I, I select for them. I'm pretty ruthless now that if I go climbing <laughs> once with someone, I'm like, nah, this is just not happening psychologically. And I just don't go climbing with them. If I want to do something even remotely hard or just enjoy it and not be terrified. And, but I've pre- spent a long time working out what that looks like. And critical yeah when you recognize it it's a very powerful tool because you overuse it and you exploit it more and more so you get more practiced at it and then it becomes even more effective and it's great
1: yeah two of the two of the things that I focus on and I think you've talked about this in in another um other podcast as well which is also selecting partners who climb at a harder grade um you know than you or at least are are achieving the things that you want to be doing and so I've I've been you know I've been fortunate to find a great crew of climbers out here at the red but um Absolutely. Like there's a huge difference to have somebody that's belaying you that you have full confidence in that are psyched for you, that are giving you a lot of positive talk as you're working through a crux or a heady thing, or maybe you clip that third bolt. I had my partners do this for the longest time and I still appreciate it is, you know, they'll call up, you know, like good clip, you're safe. You know, Mm -hmm. like, you know, at the second bolt you might deck. I mean, normally you're not going to, but like there's, there is a bolt on, on each route where like you couldn't possibly hit the ground if you tried. And like, I always love that as a climber where I climb past that point in my belayer. I know they're attentive. I know they're positive. I know they got my back and they say, you know, you're totally safe, go for it. Um, So having that positivity, that support is huge. And also, um, you know, climbing with people who are climbing hard and are are doing the things that I want to do. Like, there's just like such motivation in doing that. I think it was Eric Hurst when I interviewed him, he said that, you know, you become as a climber kind of an amalgam of the five climbers that you climb with most. And so choose wisely, you know, are they negative? Do they get upset and throw their chalk bag? If they don't send the boulder problem, you know, are they lazy? Are they okay? Just climbing submax stuff, you know, or are they pushing themselves? Are they positive? Are they supportive? Are they high-fiving? You know, are they, are they really good attentive belayers? Like, you know, think about those people that you're climbing with at the gym or out at the crag. Um, you know, you you just become part of that, just just as we do with friends, you know, just in our social circles, we kind of become an amalgam of the five people we hang out with most. That's I think where, you know, Eric was kind of playing off of that. Mm-hmm. It really matters. That was like you you gave a podcast recently about um, power endurance. But one of the things was like, can you can you make a list of what your ideal the ideal circumstances that would kind of roll up into the perfect climbing day for you. And I loved that exercise. And one of the things that I put on there was making sure I'm rolling out with climbing partners that, um, are going to help me to be the best version of myself out there. Um, I think you're right. I think that really is a superpower. Mm. So coming up to this season, ahead
0: of uh well it's actually two seasons we're going to talk about but for season one climbing first uh red river gorge steep pumpy 13a i believe is on the radar Tell
1: yeah it's kind of a that. stretch goal <laughs> like i feel like i feel like you know if i just put it out there then i'm gonna have to go for it i mean re- uh, like, oh, you real- me realistically i should probably go for 12d um uh 7c i think um that would be yeah, um 17. And because, you know, so like my, my hardest route climbed uh, by grade was 12C last season, but I decided like, I should go for a 13A, like what the hell, there's some really beautiful, stunning 13As. So one of them that I'm looking at is called Taste the Rainbow. It's a hundred foot, just mega power endurance. You know, you get a couple, um, like a lay down and a sit down rest, but like it is steep and relentless and there aren't particularly bad holds on it, but you just have to, be able to hang on to get to the chains. Um, and the crux, the red point crux is, is high kind of maybe the hardest moves on the router right off the ground. Um, and then you get a sit down and then you go through like 10 bolts of just like pretty, um, consistent, uh, pumpy climbing. And then there's like the last few moves at the chains are kind of heartbreaker. Um, again, like off the hang, n- nothing, nothing to worry about. But after 90 feet of climbing, um, it's pretty brutal. And then there's another one I'm looking at, like, that's called Calm Like a, B- like a Bomb. And it's um, much more like positiony, really interesting, varied climbing. There's like kind of a distinct crux into inactive rest. Um, it's probably like a V5 crux into like, uh, like a really good jug after active rest, but you're just like, it's very physical. You're throwing your body horizontal and then you're swinging your legs out in another way and you're getting like, there's like a weird hand jam in it and it just like is a stunning route. Um, so I'm looking at those, but I'm also looking at some 12 B's and C's and D's. Um, I also have a goal to flash 12A and to climb two 12A's in a day. And so I like having goals of different, you know, size, like like the 13A may not go down this fall. Um, I think I got a a decent shot at it, but I don't think it's like a great shot. Um, Mm -hmm. We'll see if the stars align, but I think I will flash a 12A um, and I think I can climb two different 12As in a day. So yeah, a few different goals there. And um, our season doesn't even start until I say November now. And so like part of the um, risk right now is to go out and try and like be projecting hard, because I think it's quote unquote, send timber, which is just like a total lie at the Red River Gorge. Like even early October is too humid. You know, you get a day that hits 70 and you're like, oh yeah, it's send temps. And then you get out there in the mid fifties and you're like, oh no, actually this is, this is send temps. So um, I don't know what that translates to centigrade. I think it's like 842 degrees negative centigrade. Um, If my math is correct, I I don't know the metric system. Yeah, I mean, we basically say that
0: Anything that's between 5 and 15 degrees Celsius is pretty good, depending on the amount of wind and humidity.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that would be November, I guess, probably for us. Um, and so, yeah, I'm psyched, you know, and I just want to get out there and have a lot of fun. Um, and I want to do some trad. There is some trad climbing at the Red River Gorge. So I want to put down a couple of hard projects and feel good about that and then uh, um, get out there and do some placing of some gear. Mm. Oh, guy, you you get me psyched now. maybe I need to come for a trip. We can You gotta get come trip. out to the red, man. How's
0: your finger doing? <laughs> oh my finger, not good. It's that's, all that's that's gonna be a while until that's uh better. I mean, I've got a plan for it and, and everything, but uh
1: it's all open hand drag. To... I still I feel like that's that's gonna be better for you than you know getting in on some real, real crimpy stuff. Yeah, I can't please even, come out. I can't even pull up pull on a pull up bar at the moment, so it's, uh, it's your index finger uh it's my ring finger
0: it's the, oh, it's your the ring one. finger yeah I've, I've injured them a lot over the years um it's why it's why i do so much crack climbing I, i'm unfortunately very uh uh pulley pulley prone for for injuries uh, mm. but i mean i can't complain that much is i've made a decent career out of being a crack climber so uh, yeah. i probably would have been totally distracted before trying to do loads of face climbing and not got anywhere and not ended up as a professional
1: climber in in all honesty. <laughs> Have you thought about um Tommy Caldwell is my first guess of the uh second season that's gonna be coming out here shortly. It'll probably be out by the time this episode airs. Um I mean you could just cut the finger off, Tom. It, he climbed the hardest stuff he's ever climbed in his life, uh, without that pesky ring finger. So uh oh no, his is his pointer finger. Uh yeah, he is, yeah. You yeah. you do need the ring finger. The back back two are pretty important. Yeah, yeah. I actually remember we we
0: tested a client a few years back who'd who'd lost the same, I think exactly the same digit at the same point on his index finger uh he had really good finger strength scores despite the the loss of half of his finger so maybe it's an even advantage that's know? incredible yeah <laughs> yeah cut yeah. some weight <laughs> and what's coming up in the season for the struggle yeah what, who have you you said you got tommy on the show um who, who else exciting is coming up is there any change in format is it is it staying the same
1: Formats staying the same. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a banger lineup, just like season one. I'm, I'm so grateful that, that these climbers have, you know, been able to take the time to join. Um, And, and so, you know, I try to, I try to have a mix of um, climbing styles. So I'll have like a mix of boulderers, sport climbers, um, big, big wall, track climbers, comp climbers. Um, so, you know, season two here, we've got Tommy Caldwell's coming up, um, have had incredible conversations with, um, Allison Vest and, um, Jonathan Segrist. Jonathan Segrist was a great conversation, like, you know, kind of the strongest, you know, American sport climber and, um, and really making a splash, um, you know, internationally, he's going to be spending a lot of time. He's moving to France for a while. Um, and just so inspiring, like on my style of like, that's kind of like the, the style of climbing that I, I, well, he climbs every style, but like in terms of like the routes that he's done at the Red River Gorge and the first ascents that he's put up, it's, it's really inspiring. That was great. Mo Beck um, had an, just an incredible conversation with her. She's fantastic. She's funny. Um, What she's able to do with one and a half arms um, is, is incredibly impressive Um Who else? Oh, I had a a really interesting conversation with Matt Fultz recently. Um, Uh, Just such a strong boulderer. I mean, you know, he's a bigger guy. I think, uh, God, what does he weigh? 170 some pounds. Um, He climbs V16, you know, heinous, tiny edges, crazy, steep stuff. He's a, you know, like what would be considered a bigger guy. And for him, he's like, yeah, it's all about power. Like, like I'm most powerful at this weight. I don't need to be lighter to climb these, these super steep, you know, problems. So, you know, the perspectives are really interesting um, that these, these elite climbers bring, like the assumption is that they don't struggle in their area. And last season we dove into that with Emily Harrington and, and, um, you know, Drew Mack and Lynn Hill and these people that, that like are so good at what they do or Honold, for example, And even Tommy, you know, when I talked to Tommy, it was, he had re-ruptured his Achilles heel the day before our conversation. So he'd already been in a boot for six months. And then now he's staring down another six months. And like, you know, that gets dark. That gets dark for any of us. Uh, You you got your own injury right now, Tom. Like, you know, we all go through these things, but one of the common threads that I've found with these elite climbers is that they seek struggle. You know, my opening question in, in every episode is like what does struggle mean to you through the lens of climbing and and every single one of them just says we just i love the struggle i love the challenge i love not knowing if the thing's going to go um and i think that's something that a lot of us weekend warriors can learn from because as much as it might sound nice on the drive in like oh maybe i'll just cruise this proj like it's just so much more rewarding of course if it's something that you're working towards and you're working hard for so yeah the season um i've i've learned a lot from it and and because we break them up into those chapters training nutrition tactics and mental game you can kind of go back and just like sample and mm. and like you know oh man i just don't know what to do with my nutrition right now i'm coming up on the season like what should should i be cutting or should i be building or should i be doing more protein like you can just dip into these episodes and just kind of see like oh yeah okay well what did favia Dubik have to say about nutrition or um you know what did alex magos have to say i mean for him it's just like just eat carrots all the time and, and you'll send the hardest projects in the world but yeah you can kind of sample these things and so i'm, I'm psyched about the season um, we're just kicking it off now and excited to have you on as well tom
0: yeah i had you had you bend my arm for that one <laughs> what, what, what if i what if
1: i actually what if i wrote myself in for on that as well so so you're going to be um you're here you hear it here first folks um you're going to be our, <laughs> our expert in in training so you'll be looking back Um, oh no you got that wrong (laughs) on on the 10 episodes of of these elite climbers and uh and you can try to draw some conclusions you can look through the training lens and see um see where they're struggling and see if there's something that we can all learn from it
0: yeah good well um now I'm briefed I know what to look out for though
1: (laughs) I'll send you a synopsis uh on on each one um (laughs) but no, you're going to be is. in the desert you're going to be out crack climbing out at uh, indian creek or something like that i'm going to have to hunt you down it'll be we'll have to conduct it from a van somewhere yeah at least the uh, the audio quality on will, will
0: be good in a van i'm sure like padded out with a million blankets and duvets and stuff like that at that time of year
1: that's right yeah it's it's going to be cold you'll you'll have plenty of puffies hanging around
0: yeah well it has been an absolute pleasure chatting to you and i feel like this episode has been reasonably glitch free trouble free seeing as i felt like i was on proper pressure having having <laughs> you on as the guest and me as the host but you nailed it
1: no i mean honestly it's been such an honor i've i've listened to you know for for years now listened to the content that you put out and and uh it really has informed my climbing but also it's informed my podcast and how i do it um i think you know you've got such high psych um you're you're so thoughtful with um with the conversations that you have, not only on this podcast, but also just like with how you run Lattice um, and the folks that you work with, and and I've worked with some really kind people over there, some really psyched people over there. So, yeah, thanks, man. It's um this has just been a pleasure to be on the show. I hope listeners get something out of it. I hope they're they're able to take a little intentionality to their training and level up this fall. Yeah, I'm sure they will, and uh, we will be watching out for how you get on
0: with your Red River Gorge season and uh, see see what goes down. And
1: um, yeah, good luck with that. Thanks man. Yeah, likewise. Good luck with your uh your rehab. Get get you back on some crimpy stuff soon here. Thank you.